Welcome to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a Presbyterian USA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more information about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children, youth, and adults at ndpc.org. And you can follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come and join us in person. That's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. Let's do a little translation work this morning. You up for a little Greek translation? All right, in your bulletins, uh, on one of the back pages, you'll see uh, under it, underneath where it says today's scripture, uh, I've printed out a translation of Luke 10, 38 to 42, this passage about Mary and her sister Martha. So I'm going to read, this is, translation is by a scholar um, named, um, what's her name? Mary, is actually her name, Mary Stromer Hansen. And then I'm going to read to you from the New Revised Standard Translation as you follow along in the bulletin. And I just want you to notice where the scripture differs, where the two translations differ. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. The word of God somewhere in there for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So what in the world is going on in this story? Anyone heard this story before? Yeah, right? There's two women in the story for sure. One of them seems like she's doing some housework and some cooking for Jesus. Her name's Martha. And the other one appears to be sitting on her behind, attentively uh, listening at Jesus' feet, learning all that she can about God. And her name is Mary. And Martha seems to be getting hacked off that her sister is not helping her with the housework. And then Jesus appears to chide her and say, Your sister Mary has chosen what is better. At least that's according to the NRSV translation. This reading of the story, this NRSV reading, has been around for a long time, and it's been the source of bitter conversations between women about whether it's better to be a Mary or be a Martha. Is it better to be Mary, a, a prayer warrior, a contemplative, or Martha, the diligent hostess, the leader of ministries, the one who actually gets things done? Amidst those crazy arguments, nobody can figure out what to make of Jesus. Is he a feminist because he, he lets Mary study at his feet like a disciple? Or is Jesus a pig because, like almost every man in recorded history, he devalues household labor? 
Sometimes it helps if we can come to this joyful work of translating and interpreting the Bible stories with fresh eyes. Maybe there is something entirely different going on here than what we have assumed is going on. A few years ago, a scholar named Mary Stromer Hansen said, we got to read this story again and work through it again. So first she says that the Greek text never says that Martha welcomes Jesus into her home. Well, wait, aren't all women just sitting at home doing home-based stuff? No. Martha could actually just be welcoming Jesus into her village. So then Stromer Hansen says that there are fragments of Luke's gospel, and, and you surely should know, if you don't already, that we don't have complete versions of any of these texts. All we have are different fragments, and sometimes those fragments actually say different things than one another. So Stromer Hansen says that the Luke fragments, some of them say that Mary and Martha both sat at Jesus' feet. As in, Martha had a sister called Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. So maybe this text is saying they both sit at the Lord's feet, and and maybe that's not a literal position, but it's an expression meaning discipleship. Maybe the text doesn't say that Mary sit at Jesus' feet while Martha's cooking him dinner. And remember, we don't even know that we're in a house. We don't even, in fact, know that Mary is anywhere in this scene. Maybe the text is saying that Mary and Martha are co-equals, disciples of Jesus. Stromer Hansen then says that that, that what we hear Martha saying when she's going nuts about her preparations, and and, and we just assume that she's doing some Martha Stewart-style hostess thing, right? But the Greek says that she is, in fact, torn up by all of the diakonia that she's doing. Diakonia is the word for ministry. So why do we assume that she's doing housework? Martha is busting her butt doing ministry, which may include domestic chores and meal preparation, but it almost certainly means that Martha is running the house church. Martha is deeply involved in taking care of the vulnerable in her community. Stromer Hansen makes a few what seem like very small changes in translation from the Greek and interpretation, and all of a sudden... This story has nothing to do with women torn between the value of domestic labor over here and fidelity to God over here. She says that this Mary Martha story is about two kick-butt women disciples. Martha's concerned that her sister and her fellow disciple Mary has left her to be a traveling evangelist. Mary's off sharing the gospel in other communities, and Martha is feeling overwhelmed by the work of caring for the sick and keeping up the church in her village. And so what about Jesus here, right? What about Jesus, whom we've always assumed responds to Martha's distress by by basically dissing her and lifting up her sister Mary? Well, what he actually says, what Jesus says in the Greek to Martha is not that Mary has chosen the best or even necessarily the better part. Jesus simply says that Mary has chosen a good portion. She's chosen what is good for her, and her ministry will not be taken away from her. Jesus is saying, Martha, Mary's got her own calling. It's not yours. Every ministry is unique and important. 
Well, that makes me feel a little better about this story. If you read it that way, it makes me feel better about Martha and Mary and definitely about Jesus. Yes, it would be an even better story if Jesus told Andrew to go to the kitchen and do the cooking and finish the laundry and told Simon Peter to assume the care of the widows and the orphans so Martha could take a week of silent retreat. That would be a better story, amen? But I do think this new reading better honors the sense that these women are both called... What this reading that Stromer Hansen gives us is also a reading in which the tension in the story is that Martha feels overwhelmed. She is frazzled, right? She is worn out. She is at her wit's end, and she is blaming everyone around her for not stepping up to help her. So maybe as all of us gather on this holiday weekend at the beginning of the summertime, Maybe that is where we can best meet the story. We feel busy, amen? Who here has not felt like somebody left us to do all the work by ourselves? Martha, Martha, we hear you when you cry out, Lord, I need you to get somebody over here and help me with all this stuff, right? We feel busy, and that's real. This feeling of busyness, this persistent, nagging, overwhelming feeling that we are busy is so common. It's so ubiquitous in modern life that researchers and social critics are all trying to figure out why are we feeling so busy? Why do we feel overwhelmed by the reality of this life? Part of it, they are starting to say, comes from this thing called shadow work. Shadow work is basically technology that has outsourced jobs and put them back on us, the consumer. Like you are now your own supermarket clerk. You are your your own travel agent, right? Your own airport check-in staff. You are your own secretary and gas station attendant. You are even your own journalist and entertainment provider when you dedicate hours of your life to creating content for Facebook and YouTube and Instagram. So for sure, this shadow work contributes to the ways that we feel busy. There's also more. Some of us feel busy because of structural transformations in the economic realities that we face. Hourly wages have been stuck while housing costs have gone way up. And we have to work extra hours or even more than one job to put a roof over our head and food on the table. That is busy. That is real busy. And for others of us, especially if what you do is considered knowledge work, which is a crazy term, knowledge work, there are zero constraints, right, on the logistics of doing knowledge work. Anytime your brain can get plugged in, you can be working. Combine that with uh, the fact that we have these things in our pockets and that, that, that work is now every place we go. It's on vacation. It's in bed. It's in the toilet. Work leaks into everything that we do. Some of us feel busy because work is always pinging in your pocket. Whether we don't have enough money or don't have enough time or don't have enough of either, we feel a sense of scarcity, I think. There's never enough. And when we feel that way, psychologists know we get extra stressed and we become less efficient uh, efficient and we feel even busier. So this vicious cycle is perpetuated. 
What's also true and must be said is that, is that women feel particularly pinched. Some of you saw the story by Darcy Lockman in the New York Times a couple of weeks ago titled, What Good Dads Get Away With? She says that men in contemporary society are now viewed as participating equitably in childcare and household duties, but research shows, guess what? Even working women still do significantly more work than men at home in partnerships. It costs women leisure time and professional advancement and satisfaction in their home life. So some of our busyness is for sure real, and also some of the busyness is probably up here. Some of it comes from social pressure, Researchers in the United States now observe that being busy has become a kind of virtue signaling. It's how we express to other people how good we are. It used to be, right, uh, years and years and years ago, that you showed how good you are by not working. Right? If you had enough money to not work, people knew that you were well off. Then everybody got weekends off and we had limited work weeks and so people showed how good they were by their luxury goods. But now everybody's got luxury goods, right? So how do you show off how good and important you are in today's world? You stay busy. See, being busy makes you appear competent and ambitious and those are two qualities that everyone seems to like and praise. Researchers who are studying this showed people pictures of someone working and someone taking leisure time, and they asked them who was wealthier. Overwhelmingly, they chose the person who was working. Something's going on, right? The sense of busyness is something that all of us have felt if we don't feel it even now. All of us are are susceptible, I think, to measuring our worth by how much of our time we are busy doing things. We should admit that we are busy, at least in part because it makes us feel important and it looks good in the eyes of others. So the serious theological question I want to ask you all is, is busyness a good thing? Like, is it soul-deep good? Here at the beginning of summertime, at the cusp of this great, long season of relaxation and Sabbath-taking, perhaps all of us this morning can agree to find time in the weeks ahead just to take stock of our busyness. Instead of crying out in despair and frustration, Lord Jesus, get somebody in here to help me out. Maybe we can ask, Lord, what am I doing? What am I doing with my time and with my life? And why am I doing it? Maybe some of us are doing things out of compulsion out of that unreflected, uncritical acceptance that, of course, I should be doing this. Well, wait, maybe, but maybe not. 
Maybe some of us are, are busy out of a sense of duty, that deep sense of duty. But is that duty true, or are we imagining it? Maybe we are busy out of ambition, trying to, trying to acquire more and build a more stable and solid life. But we have to ask, whom does our ambition serve? Is our busyness motivated by something less than love? Is it motivated by guilt or maybe by fear? While you're pausing, also, I invite you to take a look at the cost of your busyness. Does it take you away from being present to the people that you love? Does it keep you from forming and keeping friends? Does busyness prevent you from building community with your neighbors, the people whom God has placed around you? And I'm sure it's true for me, but maybe for you, does busyness keep you from sharing fully in the work of justice that you and others need to survive? Could you change? I mean, could you be a little less busy and still be true to your calling in this life? Could you do one less thing come next fall? I mean, could you drop something that you just don't love doing? Could you do one thing differently that would release some of the anguish that you feel? As a church and as a congregation and community of mutual support, we can support each other toward less overwhelming busyness. We can do this for each other, even in the ways that we greet each other when we see each other on Sunday or around town. When you greet one another, don't just ask, how are you? Say, how is it with your soul? And then really listen to what the person says when they answer. And if they are crying out, Lord Jesus, help me, Maybe you can step in, help those around you who look and sound overwhelmed by the responsibilities of life. And we can help each other in the long process of discernment. By walking with each other over time, we can help each other discern what God is calling us to be and to become. Of course, our callings are not all going to look the same. Your sense of your calling is not going to match that of your neighbor. Our lives and, and the kinds of service that we, we give to the world will look as different as Mary's does from Martha's. But even among our differences, we can show up for one another. We can bless and support each other so that life doesn't feel so darn overwhelming. Please take your Sabbath this summer. Remember the Sabbath. It is God's idea. It is not your idea, because we would never think of such a thing. <laughs> it is God's idea to make sure that you remember who is the creator and who is the created. If God, who is certainly busier than you are, can take a full day a week, Maybe you can, too. Take your vacation. 
Take at least one day every week and just stop. Break away from the to-do list and the inbox. Leave the emails entirely unopened and unread. Put away the social media and just be with the people that you love most in the world one day a week. Be present with the beauty of God's good creation. Take some time to tend and move toward the situations and, uh, in the world that are breaking your heart. Doing all these things will help you to discern God's call in your life. God's call is not to busyness. God gives you a diaconia, a service that God intends for the common good. One last thought about Mary and Martha this morning. Mary and Martha, for generations, have been pitted against each other. Maybe because of how we have misread this passage. The good news in the story is that both sisters found their own unique ministry. These two sisters were clearly profoundly important disciples in the early Jesus movement. We wouldn't know about them at all if they weren't fundamental to the spread of the Christian life. Mary was the one who anointed Jesus for death. She broke an alabaster jar and wiped his feet with her hair. It is said about Mary, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what Mary has done will be told in memory of her. Mary's deep, attentive spirituality is surely the real deal. It's her ministry. But Martha had a ministry, too. She's the master of her house. I love that picture, right? This woman is in charge of what's going on in that house. But she is bold in the ways that she speaks to Jesus. She is bold in her pronouncements of her faith. And I love most that according to legend, Martha left the Holy Land in the 40s, and she ended up in exile in the south of France. There, the legend says that Martha tamed a beast that had been terrorizing the population, a dragon. Martha defeats this evil thing with no violence involved. She speaks to it and calmly subdues the dragon. It's an amazing story. Drew, do you have the the other picture you can show? So this is a picture of Martha, Martha the leader of her house church, Martha the person of deep caring for the sick and the vulnerable in her village, Martha the dragon tamer, Martha the master of hospitality and culinary arts. So inspiring and and so together is Martha in her multidimensional kick-butt ministry that she and her dragon were featured on the cover of the very first edition of The Joy of Cooking, which is what this picture is from. Amen. Friends, I want you to have a blessed Sabbath. I want to ask you not to be worried and upset about many things, as easy as that seems. 
I want to ask you to let go bit by bit of your busyness. And give yourself permission to search again for your, your one thing. Search again for your ministry. Listen for your calling, for your love, for your delight, for your joy. May that never, never be taken from you.